Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Traver. We're in the middle of our series called Dinner with Jesus. Pastor Nicole has been examining several different instances where Jesus shared a meal with someone and it led to an incredible life change. Today, she's going to share one of Jesus' most famous miracles, which again, revolved all around food. We're going to see how Jesus can use the smallest things to make the biggest impact, and he's still doing exactly that today. This message is from one of our outdoor services that we've been holding this summer. So if you hear some cars honking from the crowd, that's why it sounds a little different. But it's a great message, and we're excited to share it with you today. So here's Pastor Nicole. Well, we are doing a series uh, focused on meals recorded in the scripture that Jesus ate. So basically, we're talking about food. Okay, anybody excited about that today? We're talking about food. So for the last few weeks, we have looked specifically at some moments when Jesus had life-changing conversations over a meal. And first we saw um, how Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple and then went to his house for dinner. And then last week, we saw when Jesus went to Simon's house and a woman interrupted the meal to genuinely worship him. And then we had some extended time of worship. And so today we're going to look at a meal that Jesus had with over 5,000 people. Okay. This meal was a miracle. This was a, this was a miracle meal. Okay. And this is only the only other miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ that appears in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talks about this miracle. And so this miracle meal has had very few arguments opposing its credibility. Uh, Lots of people try to uh, talk about Jesus' miracles and act like maybe they weren't real or, or they were not credible, but this particular meal had so many eyewitness participants that when 5,000, and in fact more, we'll learn here in a minute, saw it and partaked in it, they could hardly argue it. And so um, we're gonna start by looking at the context surrounding this meal. Now, the total population of Galilee at the time, which was the city that this happened just outside of, was about 40,000 people. And the scripture reports that there are about 5,000 men listening to Jesus teach. Now, let me tell you something. When they counted, when they did the attendance, when they, count, when they did the roll call in that culture, they only counted the men. And so theologians, historians believe that it's estimated that there were 5,000 men, but men come with their wives and their children and and other people in their household. And so they think there was about 10 to 15,000 people there total, including women and children. So you can imagine this is a really big crowd. In fact, I was figuring it's about half the population of Galilee had traveled by boat or hiked up a mountain to hear Jesus's words. And you know what that shows me? Jesus was and still is irresistible. He is irresistible. That the draw he had on the people was unexplainable. The people came and they came and they came. And in the gospel of Mark, it tells us what Jesus saw when he saw all these people. I want to read it to you from Mark 6, verse 34. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. 
And so Jesus didn't see a crowd that was interrupting his plans. Jesus didn't see this crowd and feel frustrated or annoyed by it. Um, He saw the people, and the scripture says he saw their deep need. And he compared them to sheep without a shepherd, and he had great compassion on them. And the crowd is listening to to Jesus teach, and, and they start getting hungry, They start getting hungry. And the disciples are recognizing the need that the people have. And the disciples are starting to whisper to each other, these people are getting hungry. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And instead of feeling compassion on this group of people, the disciples feel overwhelmed. (laughs) They don't know where to get the food. They don't know the solution. They they think to themselves, you know what? Here's the solution. And this is what the disciples uh, tell Jesus. They said, let's just get rid of these people. (laughs) Can you just send them home? Send them to their own home so they can figure out their own needs and, and, and let's, just, let's just get rid of them. And Jesus, who has all this compassion on these people, says, no, let me show you how to handle it. And then I want to read to you from the Gospel of John uh, a little bit more of this story. This is from John 6, 5 through 9. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And then Philip answered him, well, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will this go among so many? So I want to break this down for you just a little bit. So Jesus asks Philip first. Now, this isn't random. Philip is from Bethsaida, which is only nine miles from where they are. So he says, Philip, where can we get food? You should know the area. When does Panera bread close? You know, give us, give us the details. We need to know. And Philip thinks that the answer is, is resources, and he analyzes the situation, and he can't see a solution. Philip was like a spreadsheet guy. How many of you are like, you're spreadsheet people? Like, just give me the two plus two equals four. I can figure this out. Anything that's outside of math, I don't want to talk about. He, he's that side of his brain. And he analyzes the problem. He says, okay, the fact is there is no solution. I can only see the problem. We do not have enough food. We have this many people that are hungry. And on short notice, there's no way we can get it. So then Jesus turns to Andrew Now, he responds a little bit differently. He seeks a solution. He he doesn't say there's no solution, but it's a human one. And I can imagine Andrew is probably just walking around, like, trying to find somebody that has some food, you know? And so he finds this young boy. And I've always wondered, did Andrew just, like, snatch the lunch from him, you know? Or did he say, can we have that for Jesus? I mean, he he took food from a little kid, okay? And he finds his lunch. And he knows it's insignificant, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, okay, this is what we have. And I love Andrew because he's an optimist, but he's like, I don't have much to work with here, Jesus. <laughs> I've, got, I've got this many uh, th- this many loaves and this many fish. It's not a lot, but this is what I have. Now, don't forget, these two men, Philip and Andrew, they were at a wedding not that long before this where Jesus turned water into wine. Remember that? Yet... Neither of them look to the Lord in the crisis. They both think, okay, we can either figure it out with a spreadsheet or this, maybe we can go find some food. And at one point, the disciples are scrambling to find a solution. And Jesus asks them this question. How much food do you have? How much food do you have? 
And this, I believe, is the key question in this meal with Jesus. The need is overwhelming. The disciples are unqualified, unprepared, and anxious about the problem. But Jesus turns their attention to, well, what do you have? Instead of focusing on what you don't have, what is it that you have? And they have five small loaves and two fish, which isn't very much. But here's some really good news some news that I, I believe can almost change just about everything about how we think about our own lives and about God. But this is what Jesus is trying to teach the people and what he's trying to teach us today is this. God loves to use small things. God loves to use small things. Turn to the person next to you and say, yep, <laughs> yeah. God loves to use small things. When you give what little bit you have to Jesus, it's the seed for the miracle. It's the seed for the miracle. It's the place where change begins. It's the moment where hope can grow, where relationships can be restored, where a crooked road can, can straighten out. Throughout scripture, he, he makes this point over and over. Uh, first, we see God uses small numbers. You might remember the story about Gideon. He's a guy in the Old Testament. He has 300 men in his army and he attacks the Midianites, which is 15,000 men, and he defeats that army. Statistically, that's impossible. But what God is showing us is that you don't have to be a massive group of people to make a massive difference in the kingdom of God. God could use your small group to change an entire neighborhood. God could use your small group to change an entire campus. God could use you to change an entire region. God could use a church our size to change the world. Listen, he doesn't need big numbers. He needs big faith. <laughs> he needs people to show up with big faith. God can use small numbers. That's something he can work with. He can use a group of people who will say, God, you have everything we have, even though it feels small, and do something miraculous with it. God uses small people. Anyone thankful for that? In 1 Corinthians 1, 26, the Apostle Paul, he's describing the early church. You know, maybe when you think back to the people in the Bible, they feel larger than life. They're doing miracles, right? They're praying for people. They're getting healed. All these things are happening. This is what Paul says about those people. He says, listen, this is like one of those backwards compliments. Like after someone compliments you and you're thinking, was that, was that a compliment? Or what did you mean by that? But he says, not many of you were wise, not many of you were influential. None of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were important before God gave you a mission. But God chose to use the nobodies of the world to take the greatest message of all time into the world. And I love this because it eliminates all our excuses. We can no longer sit on our hands and do nothing because we think, well, I can't sing, or I can't preach, or I can't be a missionary, or I don't have a position at a church, or I can't share my faith like that, or I don't have a lot of money to give, or I don't, I don't know a lot about the Bible, or I'm too busy, or I'm too tired, or I'm too wounded, or I'm too broken, or all the hundreds of other reasons that we convince ourselves that we can't do anything big for Jesus. And God says, listen, I use small people. In fact, you can do anything God wants you to do. You can do anything God purposes for your life. He chose an 80-year-old shepherd and made him into Moses. 
a man who led an entire group of people to safety after parting the Red Sea. He picked a timid teenager and gave him a prophetic voice that changed the nations named Jeremiah. And he appointed a young woman named Mary who nobody knew from a nobody town and said, you're gonna birth the savior of the world. There's a pattern here. God uses small people. If you feel small today, don't for a minute think that God can't use you. God uses small moments. He uses a prayer of commitment. He uses effort to start reading your Bible. He, he uses just 15 minutes of every day if you'll set it aside to sit before him. He'll use your tithe and, and giving of your resources to God. He'll use that invitation when you invite your neighbor to church, when you stop to listen to your child or your grandchild about how they're feeling, when you buy your wife flowers just to show her gratitude. These might feel like really small things to us, but they're really big in God's eyes. God uses all the moments. Pastor Don uh, introduced me to a song that I love so much by the Gaither vocal band called Little Is Much When God Is In It. Anybody know that song? If I had more time to prepare, I would ask some of y'all to sing it because it's so good, maybe in the future. But this is the lyrics. In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. And then this is the chorus. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Little is much when God is in it. Okay, lastly, God uses small gifts. Now, perhaps no scripture illustrates the fact that God uses small gifts better than this story that we're looking at in John 6. The young boy gave his lunch to Jesus and Jesus fed 5,000 people with it, or 15,000 people. And after the disciples brought this little, this boy's lunch to Jesus, so um, it, it says in John 6, this is what happened. Jesus says, okay, look, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. Verse 12 says, when they, had all, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who were eat, had eaten. And so all the people were fed, and there were leftovers. 12 baskets full. Have you ever read this story and thought there was more left over than what they started with? That's, that's the kind of God we serve. That there was more left over than they even started with. Here's what I love about this passage. We never hear the young boy's name. They never identify uh, what his name is or who he was or what family he belonged to. And honestly, after this moment, this is his cameo in scripture. Okay, We never hear again uh, about this young boy. And the truth is, I was thinking this week, Jesus didn't need his two fish and five biscuits. Jesus could have spoken ribeye steaks and apple pie a la mode into existence if that's what he wanted to do. Jesus had all the power that, that he needed to create whatever they needed. But this little boy's sacrificial giving 
was meant to show us that something very, very small was a seed for a mega miracle. And do you know what messes me up every time I read this? We don't know the boy's name, but there's a reason we don't know it. He wasn't even counted in the roll call. Remember, they only counted men. This little boy wasn't even on the roster. He wasn't even supposed to be there. And also, he didn't need the miracle. He was the one with the lunch. He was the only one that wasn't going to be hungry there that day. He didn't have to ask God for the miracle. He was prepared. Everyone else was starving, but this little boy's mama sent him prepared. And Jesus wants us to see here in this tiny detail. I really believe that, that the reason why this little boy had his lunch and it wasn't a man's lunch and it wasn't, it wasn't someone counted lunch and it wasn't someone that came prepared like a disciple. Jesus wants us to see here in this tiny detail that no one else has to think you are important for God to use you. You don't even have to be on the roster. God counts you in. He can use you. God sees you. And God uses small numbers and small people and small moments and small gifts to do really, really big things. Can we just thank him for that today? If we give him what we have, he will multiply it. And so I want to encourage you, give him the faith you have. It might not feel like a lot, but he'll multiply it. Give him the talents you have, he'll multiply it. Give him the passion you have, the dreams you have, and he will multiply it. It may not feel like a lot to you, but it's not about the size of the gift. It's about planting the seed of the miracle. Planting the seed for the miracle. Planting the seed for the miracle. Before I end today, uh, this meal with Jesus is remarkably similar to an Old Testament moment that I want us to look at uh, because God's teaching the same principle to us through two situations, uh, just centuries apart. And in the book of Exodus, God was providing the Israelites manna or bread to eat every day. Uh, so he literally rained it from heaven to them. So it would be like walking outside of your house every day and having a warm, fresh meal delivered just like on your doorstep. It was miraculously there. But the Israelites got tired of the menu. <laughs> they started complaining. So they're literally complaining about a miracle because they didn't want bread anymore. They wanted meat. And so God, in his graciousness and his kindness, says, look, all right, I'll give you meat for an entire month. And Moses, the leader, questions, questions the Lord. In Numbers 11, 21 through 22, Moses says, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Listen, Moses is doing the math like Philip was doing on the mountain. He's thinking, look, I can't think of one conceivable possible scenario how God could actually fulfill this promise. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been where Moses and Philip are in this moment that you can't think of one way that the situation you're in right now could change? You feel utterly and hopelessly stuck. And maybe you're here today and you have no idea how God is going to fix your busted up life. You know God wants maybe you to take the job that pays less so you can spend more time with your family, but the numbers just don't add up financially. Or you know he wants you to go on a missions trip, but you don't know how you could ever afford that or how you could ever take a week off work 
Or, or you know God wants you to adopt a child or go to grad school or give to a kingdom cause that doesn't fit into your budget or your life stage. And, and you're sitting there saying, God, I don't even know how you could possibly fix this because I can't think of one conceivable possible scenario. And these two scenarios in scripture are teaching us that God's ordained plan, God's plan will always be beyond your ability and your resources. You can't afford God's plan for your life and you can't accomplish it on your own. You'll never be able to do it on your own. But God can do more in one day than we can accomplish in a hundred lifetimes. God can do more in one day than we can accomplish in a hundred lifetimes. And sometimes the way out of the mess isn't always as long and hard as the way that you got into it. You know that God can heal wounds in a minute that took a lifetime to create. He's outside of time and space. He is not limited by anything. And so we see here how God proves that to Moses. And then in John 6 on the mountain with 5,000 people, he proves it to Philip and Andrew. And in Numbers 11, this is what God says back to Moses. So Moses says, I don't know why you're promising them meat. There's no way we're going to be able to, to give these guys meat. And now you're going to, basically Moses is saying, you're putting my neck out there because I'm representing you and you're not going to provide. And this is what the Lord says to um, Moses in that moment. He says this. Is my arm too short? Is the Lord's arm too short? As I was preparing for this message this morning, the Holy Spirit told me today that that is somebody's answer to the question you've been asking the Lord. As some of you out there this morning have been asking the Lord, how are we going to, how's this going to work? I don't see it, God. I don't understand how this is going to work out in my life. And this is what he's responding to you right now. This is, this is Jesus. This is God responding to you. And he's saying this, is my arm too short? Do you believe my arm is too short to meet that financial need you have? Is my arm too short to heal your physical ailment? Is my arm too short to deliver you from that pain and grief that you're feeling? Is my arm too short to cross your paths with that special someone? Is my arm too short to help your parent when it's hard? Is my arm too short to give you words to say to a hurting friend? Is the Lord's arm too short? And let me tell you today that your answer to this question will determine tens of thousands of things about the rest of your life. But if you get it into Jesus's hands, he'll handle it. If you get it into Jesus' hands, he'll handle it. If you get it into Jesus' hands, he'll handle it. And it might not be how you would handle it. it. might not be how I'll handle it. But he always handles it. And he shows us that over and over. He shows us that when Moses is questioning him and when Philip and Andrew don't know what to do. And I love this in Numbers 11 and verse 31. It says, the wind started blowing and drove quail in from the sea. And by the end of the day, there were 700 square miles of quail. That's 36 times the size of the city of Erie. It says the quail was piled three feet deep. Can you imagine seeing that miracle before your very eyes? I really don't like birds. So that would be a really bad miracle for me to see. But God says, look, Moses, you can't even imagine how I'm going to solve this. 
It's not even in your mind. Moses could have never guessed that God was gonna bring 700 square miles of quail to feed his people. And that's what happened on the mountain with Philip and Andrew and Jesus. One lunch got into Jesus' hand and guess what? He handled it. Not one miracle, but 15,000 separate miracles. Everyone got to experience the miracle that day because Jesus multiplied that little lunch that was provided. And the scripture says they all had enough to eat and there were leftovers. how we're going to end today. Maybe you're here and you've heard of Jesus, but you just don't know where he fits in your life. Maybe you would say you don't really have a relationship with Jesus or maybe you're not sure where you're going when you die. I want to tell you that the God that I just described through those two stories, that God, he loves you deeply. He knows your name. And if you give him the little bit of faith that you have, he'll multiply it. You might think, I don't know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to cross over that line yet. I don't know what that looks like. Listen, you just give Jesus that little bit of faith that you have. Even if it's that hope that you hope it's true. You give Jesus a little bit of faith that you have and he will multiply it. Accepting Jesus into your heart isn't difficult. It, God has made it very easy, but it is costly. It requires a surrender of your heart. And I want to urge you today, if you want to know more about how to do that, visit the prayer tent before you leave today. You can go there right now if you want. Don't even wait another minute. They're ready for you. Or you can go right after service. The prayer team would love to just talk with you, have questions, nothing goofy or crazy goes on over there. You just go and you say, here's what I'm thinking and they talk you through it. But this dinner conversation with Jesus gives us a whole bunch of great reasons to share our faith. It gives us a whole bunch of great reasons to give God whatever we have and he'll multiply it. And so I really wanna encourage you today if you have any questions about your relationship with Jesus or if you don't have one at all, to really consider making that decision or at least asking some questions about it. Two weeks ago, I introduced to you a challenge that Jesus gave me for our church. We're gonna work through this challenge uh, over these next three weeks of our series. The challenge is to have 400 conversations with people who don't know the love of God, people who don't know your friend Jesus. And these conversations can happen over a meal, a cup of coffee in a backyard. Uh, I was at a park this week with my, my, my girls and I started talking to the guy at the park. He had a kidney stone, which I know a little bit about. So I prayed for him. And as I walked away, my eight-year-old said, hey mom, was that a life-changing conversation? And I said to her, I don't know, but man, we look for opportunity, don't we? Because God says he's gonna set us up. Because we have the greatest message of all time. We have a God that loves us so deeply that we can't stand by and keep it to ourselves. And so that conversation can be simple. The conversation can be about a kidney stone. But the idea is that you share your faith, your hope, the peace you have experienced, the love of God that you know with someone in your life. And at the end of every service over these next several weeks, we're gonna have some time for you to come down and just simply mark one of these boxes 
Remember these boxes, they aren't counting people. We would never reduce someone's life to a, a box on a, on a board, but it's meant to count a conversation. You're marking that box in faith that the truth you shared will grow into faith in Jesus. You're marking the box believing the seed you planted will turn into a miracle. That the seed that you planted, God will birth a miracle out of. We aren't in charge of the results, that's God's job, but we're called to be obedient to spreading the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're called to do it as a family. And as a body of Christ, what can God do with 400 conversations about his love in our city. Can you imagine? What can God do? Now we have a great start here, but this is a group project. So if you've been ignoring me the past two weeks, I'm giving you the nod, okay? We all have to do it or we'll never make it. And so if you haven't been able to this week, really put it on your calendar, look around, God will set you up. And if you have been able to, while we worship here, this next song, would you come and just mark one of the boxes? It will just encourage each other. I know it encourages me that we're doing this together. So let me pray for us and let's sing. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you use small things, that you love to use small things. God, I thank you that you use small numbers and you use small people and you use small moments and you use small gifts. And God, we, we often feel like we don't have a lot to bring, but you multiply it. God, you do something new with it. Lord, us plus you is always a majority because you are the maker of all things. You are sovereign and good. You are above it all. And so Lord, this morning we sing this song just in prayer. Lord, would you do it again? Would you do it again? That miracle on the mountain where you fed 15,000 people, would you do that again, Lord? Would you help us understand your word? Would you help us with the peace that we need? God, we love you. We give you praise. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you stand and worship, and would you come and mark the conversation box?
place our hope and our trust in you. You always come through. It's who you are, God. Your arm is not too short to intervene in any situation we may be facing. So we thank you for that. We praise you. You are so good that we worship you. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll be back out here the next two Sundays. Keep bringing your lawn chairs, having these conversations, bringing people along with you. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series, videos, and podcasts at eeriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.